We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway! Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're on the Blue Iron Network. We're brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here as always with Jason Pat. We have a special guest joining us, in my opinion, the sharpest Bulls writer on the internet. It's Stefan No. Stefan, thanks for taking some time out of your day to talk to us about the Bulls with the season set to begin on Wednesday against the Atlanta Hawks. Preseason is wrapped up for the Bulls. And uh, yeah, we're about to get into it. So I guess I'll just start this off by asking you guys a question. Uh, how excited are you for this season right now? And Jason, your dog can speak too if it wants to. <laughs> uh, that's Chris Dunn in the background. Just uh, these uh, dogs, even though he's not on the Bulls anymore, just, uh, I guess it kind of is funny with the Hawks coming up, even though I'm pretty sure Chris Dunn is not playing. But uh, seven, I'll let you answer this first. Scale of one to 10, where's your excitement level for the new season? We'll, we'll put it that way. Uh, I would say my excitement level is probably like a seven, which going into last season, it was probably, I mean, I guess last season we had higher expectations, but it still was probably only like a five. And then the year before (laughs) that, it was like a two. So uh, seven's pretty high. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit of a downer because the season starts so tough. But um, I've enjoyed watching the preseason games. I think Patrick Williams is super intriguing and interesting. So I'm I'm looking forward to this season a lot more than the previous ones. Uh, as for me, I kind of am too. Even I know last season, like we both both of us, we like talked ourselves into the Bulls being good. I know Ricky was on team playoffs. Uh, uh, I was just just short there. So like I think we were both like kind of super excited for last season. We even even kind of talked ourselves into boiling, which was awful. Obviously, just stupid. We learned our learned the error of our ways really really quick there. And this season, I would say pretty similar. Like I I think what. Even though I don't think this team's going to be that good, I feel like, like you said, I think my expectation level for this season is probably a little less. Like you mentioned, you mentioned the hard schedule. I think the East in general is just kind of a bit, might be a bit better this season. Uh, so, like, I'm, I mean, I'm expe- expecting basically to hopefully get into the play in tournament. That's whatever seeds seven through 10, something like that. Uh, but I, I'm just kind of excited just to see the new coaching staff with Billy Donovan, some competence as a head coach. The new front office, see what they do after we'll see how the team does. And then just like some of these guys, like I, I mean, we're going to talk about this in a second here with Larry Markinen not signing a contract extension. Like it's a big season for him. Put up or shut up. However you feel about Larry Markinen, like 
Uh, it's a contract season for him. Kobe White and Zach Levine p- playing together and starting together. I'm excited to see how they do. We have our concerns and questions about them, but uh, they're they're obviously pretty fun to watch together, even if uh, they have their flaws. Wendell Carter Jr. maybe a breakout season, maybe not. His preseason was not very good, but like just I'm kind of excited. And then you mentioned Patrick Williams as well. I'm just kind of excited to see how these young guys come together in a season that could kind of determine the direction this new front office goes. Like if it kind of crashes and burns, well, maybe they'll just blow everything up and they'll kind of start fresh. But maybe they'll actually come together and they and they and they're fun and they're maybe not good, but at least like I said, right there maybe for a playoff spot, the playing tournament. So I think even if the team, my expectations aren't super high, I'm still kind of excited to just watch these young guys play with this with a new coach and a competent coach. Yeah, so I think we should move on to Lowry Markinen and Jason. There was a bunch yeah. of early extensions signed around the league today. Lowry Markin did not get one, is not going to get one. And you mentioned sort of the stakes of the season at the top of the podcast. So uh, you want to walk us through the news of the day and uh, talk about what's going on with Lowry right now. Yeah, so uh, they had till 5 p.m. to sign uh, an extension on his rookie contract, and it did not happen. And it was kind of reported... Uh, I guess just going back, like even just after year three, which was a disappointing year three for Larry Mark. And obviously like, I feel like most people figured like it would just be hard for, especially with the new front office in place. Like why would they commit to somebody they didn't draft? They like have no, they just don't really have anything to owe Larry marketing. So like after a bad season, he's been hurt uh, and it just wasn't good. Like why would they go pay up for Larry marketing? And for him, like he's, I mean, why would he take a discount when he could possibly get, a lot more money next off season. And that's especially the case now uh, that like so many, the 2021 like hyped free agent class is much weaker now. And we did, as you mentioned, we did see some extensions. We saw Jonathan Isaac who tours ACL. He's going to be out this whole season, but he got four years, 80 million. Uh, obviously Jonathan Isaac, defensive player of the year, caliber player when he's healthy, he has not been healthy that much, but still 20 million a year for him. That's a lot. We saw Markel Fultz, another magic guy. He's got almost 17 million a year after the disaster start to his career. We saw Luke Kennard, 464. Derek White, 473, I think. Uh, were there were there any other ones there? I can't remember. Those were some of the main ones. Uh, I know guys who didn't, like John Collins and the Hawks didn't. Lonzo didn't. OG got one, too. O- OG got 472, that's right, which I think a lot of people thought that that was low for him. I think a lot of people were thinking – uh, up to like 80, maybe even 90 marks. So the fact that he only got 72 is kind of interesting. Uh, so, yeah. So, again, I always kind of felt like it was going to be hard hard for them to get common, uh, common ground there. Uh, I know they talked about how Lowry was like, oh, I pushed my agent for an extension. And uh, our AK was talking about, oh, we we like Lowry. We'd like to get something done. They have a, And Casey said they were, never, they were never close. There was a few places reported they just said, we're never close on this, which just doesn't surprise me that much. Like, not common ground. Not common ground there. So, I guess Stefan, looking at like, were you surprised at all that that they did not agree to an extension? And like, what do you what do you expect out of Lowry? What do you think of as a, him as a player now? Because just like what we've seen of him, we just have not seen him develop as we'd hoped. He just hasn't shown like that many plus NBA skills outside of like free throw shooting. Like, do you want him to be a long term piece on this team? What would you like be willing to pay him if he's like has like a decent season? Just like, where are you on the whole Lowry Markin situation right now? Well, I was not surprised that they did not come to an agreement because uh, they, I mean, both sides kind of have different incentives. So uh, when I when I think about Lowry, like I, I think that if I was going to extend him, the years would probably be more important to me than the salary because the scary thing about him is that, I mean, we still really don't have a great idea of... <laughs> what kind of value he's going to bring. Like you can make the argument that you do know, and he's just not that good, which I think is totally fair. But uh, for people who are still holding out, I mean like, yeah, maybe you do want some more time. So I can't remember off the top of my head what Kuzma's extension extension was. I think it was 340, 340. I think think it was 340 with like a third year player option, which like that type of framework for Larry, I think I would be okay with, um, just not locking yourself in in case he is really bad. And the other reason why I kind of like that is you have to think about what the alternative is going to be. So I think that Lowry probably is going to get paid this summer because the free agency class is just so terrible. And all these teams have been saving up money for Giannis and these other guys. And there's when there's a lot of money in the market and there's not a lot of 
supply, then I mean, you get guys like Otto Porter getting paid. He's probably going to get paid again this this summer just due to like dumb luck timing. So that's kind of why uh, I don't think they could. Let's say they give Lowry like eighteen million a year or something. I don't think they could spend that better. Um, just going on the free agent class this summer. So like a, a short term deal, I think I'm okay with, but I'm not thrilled with. Uh, yeah, and I just think that. Um, I was one of these guys who was way, way higher on Lowry when he was a rookie, when he was doing well under Hoiberg. But at this point, like, I think he just kind of is who he is. I, there, there's a lot of variance in three-point shooting, but we have a lot of data now. I mean, he's, he's taken a ton of shots. I, I think um, friend of the podcast, Kevin Farragan, said you only need like 200 shots or something to get a, a good idea of what a guy shoots uh, from three. So we have way more attempts with Lowry he's over a thousand I think yeah I mean it just seems like he's an average three-point shooter and I don't really see any reason other than wish casting why you think that he would suddenly turn into like a 40 percent three-point shooter so that's what he needs to do in order to be a really good player because he's not really fast enough to beat guys off the dribble unless they're closing out super hard on him and he's not going to get those closeouts unless he's just lights out as a shooter so yeah I mean I just um I hope he proves me wrong but I am very, very lukewarm on Larry right now. So I feel like the risk is like the thought of losing him for nothing versus giving him a deal that's maybe a little bit of an overpay, but then you can potentially trade him down the line. Now, if he has another year like last year, suddenly that a con- long-term contract could look like an albatross. And the team, even though he is still really young, might think that, oh, that's not really a positive asset for us in a trade. Then the Bulls get stuck with him. So sort of how do you rationalize those two thoughts, Stephen? Like, do you think it's like the worst thing possible to lose him for nothing? I kind of thought maybe they should have traded him in the offseason for this reason. Uh, I do think that Karnaschovas likely gauged the market, given how many rumors the Bulls were in secondhand. Uh, But obviously, Lowry's still on the team coming into the season. He did have a good last preseason game. I'm just sort of curious what you think in terms of uh, losing him for nothing via you know the the risk of an overpay. Yeah, I posed this question to uh, the group DM before we started recording, where uh, Lonzo also didn't get an extension. So like money is the same at this point, right? It doesn't matter if uh, the guy was on your team or not. I guess you might have a slight advantage in negotiating if the guy's restricted because you get to see what other teams are going to pay him. But I mean, if I had to allocate, you know, seventeen million a year to Lowry or to Lonzo, it, it doesn't matter to me that Lowry has been on the team the last couple of years. I would just pick who I think is the better player. And personally, I mean, I don't know. Both those guys are so flawed. Like you might just go with neither <laughs> and just uh, wait until I haven't even looked at like who the 2022 free agents are. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't give him like four years at a huge number. I just like that. I'm just not doing that. But um, it might just. As frustrating as it is seeing the Bulls just keep on sitting out these free agency periods, that might actually be like the most prudent course of action. Yeah, I kind of agree. And like when you look like Lonzo, like at least Lonzo is like a legitimately great passer. Like, it just comes back to me with Lowry is that he's just like not good at anything. Like he's okay at a bunch of stuff, but like again, outside of like free throw shooting, he's just not, he's not a versatile defender. Can't protect the rim. Can't really de- de- depend on him to like switch on like guards and wings and like be really good. Like he's okay at it. And again, we talked about the shooting like. All these catch and shoot threes that he's just an average three point shooter. He he's not a playmaker, so it's just like at least Lonzo you can count on something with his playmaking and, and like his ability ability in transition. So it's that's what just makes it tough with Lowry. Just right now he just seems like a, just a totally average player, which is like it's fine. Like you could use him as a, as a role player, but I just see yeah, it in terms of like paying up. It just, it just it's just really tough. I guess to finish up on Lowry here, did you see anything in the preseason that you thought, oh, you know, like is Billy Donovan using him different, maybe differently? Is he being a bit more aggressive just i know a bit the big criticism was that all boylan misused them he was just basically like a floor spacer he wasn't aggressive enough have you seen anything in this preseason that that just like makes you think that he can actually make any type of leap at all like in terms of aggressiveness in terms of how billy donovan's using him well i think that the time for excuses for him is over because i do think that he had some legitimate gripes with the way boylan was using him and his role has changed, uh, at least through the preseason. Like He is coming off movement a lot more. And I don't even know if he can shoot well off movement because, I mean, like basically all he's been for his whole career is a spot-up shooter. Like He hasn't really done any pull-up stuff. Like He was 
coming off screens with Hoiberg, I guess he shot like pretty well that that rookie year. So maybe that's a sign that he can do it. But um, yeah, like no more post ups, which is nice. Uh, seems like he is a little bit more aggressive. Like they're having him attack a little bit more. I do really like that. Uh, Donovan has put him in this five four pick and roll with Wendell Carter quite a bit, and that that play has been very successful. So that's kind of cool, I guess. Like we did see flashes of that the last couple of years, where we were wondering if Lowry could do some of that. So that that's another reason why I think the season might be a little bit more interesting than the previous ones. Like you get to see these guys expand a little bit. But yeah, if he doesn't get it done this year, I mean, he's got nobody to blame but himself. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, before we move on to some of these other guys in the roster, we're going to take a quick break uh, and hear from our sponsors, Indeed and Bet Online. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Now, Indeed's new way of matching with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore's total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. So try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take full advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. We are back, Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We got Stefano on. We're talking about the Bulls as they get prepared for their season opener on Wednesday against the Atlanta Hawks. We just talked about Lowry Markkinen and no contract extension for him. Let's go talk about some of the rest of the roster. Um, let's go to the backcourt with Kobe White and Zach Levine. Uh, we kind of mentioned them kind of at the top here about how this they'll be starting to play together or for the first time in the starting lineup. They only Kobe started the one game last year. He obviously was a lot of fun as a player off the bench after the all-star break, got buckets. We saw him get buckets in preseason, but the big thing I know that we've all been looking for was can Kobe White actually play an effective point guard. Can he make the reads? Can he make anything past just basic pick and roll reads? And I know that's something you've been looking at, uh, in your preseason analysis, so just what did you see out of Kobe White as the starting point guard? Do you think he can run an effective offense with him and Zach Levine in the backcourt? Is there enough playmaking there to give the Bulls an offense that can actually not be like 29th in the league like they were last season? Well, the thing with Kobe last year is he was so streaky and so inconsistent. And I think that extends not only to his shooting and his scoring, but so many aspects of his game. So in the four preseason games... He was pretty terrible in the first game. Uh, he was better in the second game. He was very good in the third game. And then he was terrible again in the fourth game. And, and not just his, shoot, his shooting followed that pattern. But I think that uh, he lets his shooting affect other parts of his game too. His passing was just very, very bad. Um, the thing that I want to see with Kobe is, first of all, he needs to finish at the rim a lot better. Like He's just so mechanical when he plays. And he he seems, uh, Will Gottlieb, friend of the podcast, mentions this a lot, that he just seems to make up his mind on what he's going to do before he does it. So he says, like, I'm going to look for guys to pass on this possession, or I'm just going to like try to finish over this guy when he gets the ball at the three-point line. And you just can't do that at the NBA level. Like, You have to be able to read defenses and adjust, uh, because he's not, he's not the type of player that can just impose his will like that. So I want to see him... Um, 
just read the game better, you know? And he's he's had flashes. I think he has gotten better, but not to the level where he needs to be, where, you know, he's going to be even like an average starting point guard. In Zach Lowe's Bulls preview today, or like NBA-wide preview, the Bulls just had uh, one paragraph, I think, in the entire thing. And here's what it was. It said, Is it weird that I might peg the Bulls as the most likely among Chicago, Orlando, and Charlotte to bust the East playing party? They are starting Kobe White at point guard. That's a real thing. So I feel like this is going to be the biggest swing factor in the season, is how does Kobe White adjust to point guard? Uh, I think that, you know, the Bulls, when you talk about like the frontcourt foundation of Markkinen and Carter, it is sort of fair that like they have never had a natural facilitator since they've been in Chicago. They've never had like a true engine of the offense. Levine had those duties last year and he just wasn't a good enough decision maker on a consistent basis to handle the job. Now Kobe's taking on that burden. And I think like you can say a lot of the same things about Kobe that you can about Levine uh, both are obviously really great scorers can shoot off the dribble from distance can really get cooking offensively but it's just like the decision making I feel like is a just such a huge uh, issue for both of them so how, like how do you like do you think that Kobe should start at point guard Stefan do you think they should start Sadaransky and how do you think the you know, the, the point guard situation and the lead playmaker sort of impacts the rest of the roster. I don't know what's going on with Sadoransky. He still is not with the team with this following some sort of protocol. I mean, it sounds like COVID, but then the NBA said only one guy tested positive, and that was... Um, Temple, right? Vonley? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it was Vonley. So, it, I mean, apparently Sadoransky doesn't have it, but he has some sort of condition that cannot be disclosed that is exactly <laughs> like COVID in terms of like where it can be with the team. And so uh, I don't think he's going to, I mean, it sounds like he's not going to be ready for the season opener, but I'm not really sure uh, if it was, if it was up to me. I mean, I, I understand why they don't want to play Sadoransky, uh, why they don't want to start him. Um, I mean, he is like a very limited player. I was like uh, the lead driver of the Sadoransky train last year. And um I, th- I thought that he played better than he was giving credit for, but yeah, like he's, you're not getting above average starting play from him probably, but I do think that they're making a mistake by uh, just trying to throw white out there. I mean, white is really good at certain things. Like he's just a lights out shooter. He's, he's actually like extremely effective off the ball, uh, just like spreading the court and he does not need a lot of space to get his shot off from three and, uh, if that like he's probably the player I trust the most if you just have a wide open three to hit it. So I I think that I would rather have him in an off ball role. I understand why they're playing him at the point guard though. They just they just don't have anyone else, you know? So like um yeah, why not why not just see what happens, you know? But I, I'm not I'm not hopeful for what's gonna happen. Yeah. That's basically me on that. It's like we saw what Sandrancy was. He's like, he's fine. Like, I, and I think he could be decent in the bench role. And we kind of saw him play pretty well in that first preseason game when the Bulls starters got their ass kicked. Like, he came in and did a decent job. I know it was preseason against a shitty Rockets bench, but like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I just, you might as well. Like in this season, like they called this supposed season of evaluation. You, I guess you might as well just start Kobe White and see, and see what he's got. It could certainly go poorly. Uh, I mean, your point about him off ball, like, I mean, he's he's such a good shooter in, in like spot up situations. I I always feel really good about him hitting shots, and and we've we've seen it in preseason. He shot the ball really well, except I think except for one game. So I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely that's definitely gonna be a huge. Thing. Did you did you want them to go? I know I feel like you talked about maybe Ricky Rubio. Like, did you were you surprised that they didn't make a move for another veteran point guard? Yeah, I mean, I think they probably looked, but they just couldn't find anything that worked for them. So it's, I think it's definitely going to be an area that they address this offseason or perhaps at the trade deadline. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're just kind of like stuck in a tough place right now because yeah. the, the the options they had this year to upgrade at that position were not great. So um, they just had to roll with what they had. Uh, Stefan, long term, do the Bulls need to make a decision between Zach and Kobe? Is a backcourt with both of them in it tenable? Uh, you know, Kobe, maybe you could just use him as like your sixth man, a bench guy, upgrade a point guard while still keeping them together in a sense. Uh, or do you think that, you know, for the long term growth of the franchise, one of them likely has to go? 
Well, I don't think it's a decision between Zach or Kobe. I think it's Zach and Kobe. Like, I I don't think that any of these guys are really safe. That's why I think this season is more interesting than the previous ones. I feel like the Bulls, in terms of franchise building, are at a real inflection point. That doesn't really happen that often with franchises. So it is pretty interesting when you can watch and see, like, there's just so many different directions that AK can take this roster. And um, I think they're really benefited, too, by the fact that you know, they didn't pick these players and the the endowment effect that the Bulls have so often where they put so many resources into scouting these guys and then they just like kind of fall in love with them. That's not going to hold this regime back. So I think that it's very likely that um, like both of those guys are gone, right? And they just like uh, build around Patrick Williams and whoever else. Like maybe, you know, maybe they like Hutchison, maybe they keep him as like a back end rotation guy or I don't know, but like just every single player on this roster besides Patrick Williams, I think is I I cannot really say that, you know, they're for sure going to be on this team in three years. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. Let's use that as a good jumping off point to talk about Patrick Williams, Bulls rookie, number four pick. Uh, played pretty well in the preseason. And you were I know you wrote a few things about him. You were watching him closely, both ends of the floor. Uh, I know I was pleasantly surprised to see some of the stuff we saw offensively. I know defensively, some nice versatility as well. You wrote about him, uh, I think, sticking John Wall a few times on switches, making some nice just – I know he came in a league uh, hyped as like a good rim protector at his position. We saw Patrick Williams start the last two games at small forward over Otto Porter Jr. I don't think a decision – I don't believe a decision has been made on that yet, but it seems like Billy is thinking about it. So I guess just we can talk about do you think – uh, Patrick Williams should start at the three or I guess he ideally, or do you think he actually is a, a small forward? I know positions in the NBA these days, it's kind of like whatever he's kind of just more like a big wing, but do you think he should start over Otto Porter jr? And what did you like most out of him in preseason? And what do you think he still has to really work on? I don't know about starting him. Like I'm fine with starting him. I do think that he needs to play a lot of minutes and they have to restrict Otto's minutes a lot because they really need to trade Otto Porter. They need to get something for him. And he's so fragile that you just have to keep him on a minutes restriction and hope that he stays healthy by the trade deadline. Uh, I think like last year, they probably wanted to trade him too, but he got hurt, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, sorry. What was, what was the second part of your question? Uh, just, I guess his preseason performance, what did you, what really stood out to you in his preseason performance? And then if there's anything that you really saw that he really needs to work on as well. What stood out to me was his, uh, this was mentioned in all of his draft stuff, but just seeing it in person, his defensive versatility, like you mentioned that he matched up well against John Wall. Uh, I think three times in that first game, he got switched on him and Wall tried to shake him and he stayed in front of him, which was better than like the Bulls point guards were doing. (laughs) I mean, Wall was torching everybody else on the team. So that was very impressive. And then uh, when they played the Thunder, he got switched on a Shea Gill, just Alexander a bunch of times. And I think Shea got him once. I think it was Shea that got him once with that pump fake. But the other times, um, he stayed in front. And that's really hard to do against Shea because he has such great shake. You know, it's it's got all this craft. So that was very impressive. And then he, he, was, he was guarding up and down their, their roster, which, I mean, that's like the, um, that's a skill that everybody's looking for in the draft, right? And the thing that I kind of wanted to see more of from him is, I think he only had two assists in the a lot of turnovers. And yeah, that was in the last game where he had those two assists. And yeah, Jay, as you said, a lot of turnovers. So uh, the turnovers are fine though. Like, you know, he's got to work through things. Like the, the thing that bothers me more about Wendell, for example, is he doesn't have enough turnovers passing. He just holds the ball so often. He won't go for passes. You know, that's what the preseason is for. You got to try this stuff out. But um, yeah, with Patrick Williams, I, I would like to see him, uh, try try riskier passes. Most of his turnovers came when he was um, ball handling and like trying to drive and stuff like that. So, so yeah, like um, he was. Uh, Ricky can speak to this better than I can, but his passing was supposed to be a pretty big asset. I just, I just saw some highlight videos, and his highlights were awesome passing. But I haven't really seen that in the preseason as much. He's thrown a couple of uh, whip passes and stuff like that, but nothing too crazy. So 
Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that because I think we're going to see some like pretty cool highlights. Yeah, he did throw some nice passes in terms of his best passes of the season at Florida State, but also like he wasn't really in a position to put the ball on the floor and create much. And I feel like that live dribble passing ability is really what's valuable, especially if he's able to be a guy who like demands the attention of the defense when the ball is in his hands. I was really impressed with his on-ball scoring ability. Like I tweeted out a few clips of him, you know, going between his legs a couple times, uh, being able to pull up from mid-range. Those were all really good things. I also liked that he seemed ready and willing to fire from three-point range. Uh, had a little bit of a step back in his game already. So I'm really impressed just with his overall scoring package. And my impression of Patrick Williams through four preseason games is that he's pretty easily the best-looking long-term prospect on the team currently. Uh, And I was a big fan of Wendell Carter coming into this season. I'm sure we'll move to Wendell in a minute here, but uh, I would have given him that mantle before the Patrick Williams pick. And I just got to say, like, I'm thrilled with the Patrick Williams pick. Like, there were other guys who I probably would have taken there, but I'm already fully on the Patrick Williams bandwagon. I think he looks great. I think he looks like the Bulls' best long-term piece already. Uh, curious of what you guys think to that, or if I'm overreacting a bit. Um, I definitely. I was gonna say, so. it, yeah, I was gonna say it's nice to have possibly like a legit two-way player. I've, that's, I mean, it's been a clear issue for the Bulls in recent years, just like the lack of guys who can play both ends of the court. Because obviously, Zach, great score. Can he play defense? He hasn't. Kobe White's kind of the same thing. Larry Markkinen. I mean, obviously, he hasn't really been good at anything. Wendell's been more of a defensive guy. His offense has sucked. Chris Dunn, all defense, no offense. Like, there's been so many guys that had that that can't play both ends, and so, and I think that's kind of what we're hoping for out of Patrick Williams, and just kind of with his his skill set and what he's shown already, and just like his NBA ready body and just the versatile wing factor that is very popular. You need these guys to win in today's NBA. Like, definitely very promising stuff, and you could definitely go add more to that. No, I, I really like what you said. You know, he just doesn't take anything off the table. I mean, all the Bulls picks that they've made, you know, Chandler Hutchison, the guy can't shoot. He can do other stuff really well, but he can't shoot. You know, Denzel can't play defense. Bobby Portis can't play defense. Like all these guys, you're just capping their ceiling already from day one. And having a prospect like Pat Will where um, he's showing promise in a lot of things and you, there's no one area where you know he's just going to suck, right? I, mean, I think that's pretty valuable. There's so many, there's, you're just giving yourself different avenues for him to be really good. Uh, you know, when you shut down a couple of those avenues, just like probabilistically, you're reducing your chances of success so much. So just having all those avenues open, I think is, is very exciting. I mean, I'm just really looking forward to watching him. And how about the fact that depending on what happens with Pukashevsky in OKC this season, is he going to be on the roster or not? Patrick Williams is going to be the youngest player in the NBA. So that's pretty exciting. I mean, just the fact that the Bulls didn't take like a McDermott or Valentine type who was a four-year college player, they actually took the youngest player. To me, that is just such a massive improvement in process. Like, we'll see how the results work out. Honestly, it's not a very high bar to clear at this point to be the best young player on the Bulls. And his preseason already was like one of the most impressive preseason runs of any of the rookies. I was paying attention to all of them, so... I'm thrilled with Patrick Williams, and I'm really excited to see what he can do this season. Stefan, do you have any things you would like to see from his season? I know you said that you think he should play a lot, that he should get a lot of, uh, you know, reps. Uh, Is there any other, like, goals you would set for Patrick Williams' rookie year? Uh I Not really. Just, like, kick ass. Like, I think he's going to be awesome. Like, the, the... Small flashes that we got in preseason were already um, better than most of the other guys who are, as you said, way older than him. So uh, I I am looking forward to. I, I read some profile on him where it said that I think it was um, uh, Spencer Perlman at the Stepian said that he tries to dunk everything in sight, and I hadn't really seen that as much. He ha- he did try to do one like crazy dunk on a cut that he got fouled on, but I'm looking forward to. Having that like David Nwaba type of player again, where you know even if <laughs> the chances of success are very low, he just tries to like slam it down everybody's throat. Well, Lowry does that too, Stefan, but he just <laughs> and he fails all the time in the preseason. Again, he misses more dunks than anyone I've ever seen. So, well, probably not Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis missed a lot. <laughs> Good lord! I guess also just with the mil- the minutes thing. Like, I think if this thing like goes bad with this bad schedule from the start. 
Uh, that's when you like, yeah, you, if you look to trade out a Porter, maybe you think you like bench Lowry too. I mean, basically just start giving Patrick Williams all the minutes, like play him 30, 30. I know he'll hit that, hit that wall, but they definitely, like, I don't know how much he'll play at the very start. Like I, he should have a rotation place, but like, if this thing goes bad to start, like, I just want to see all the Patrick Williams for like the rest of the season. You start making moves kind of to focus around him. Um, moving on, uh, let's let's talk about Wendell. Ricky, you, you brought up Wendell kind of to talk about him. And, uh, and we've talked about a lot on this pod about how we wanted to see Wendell Carter take on more of a role in the offense, whether that's being that offensive hub at the elbows, whether it's shooting threes. Well, we did see more of that in preseason. He took four threes a game in preseason, and he only made one of them. Or four threes per game, yeah. So 16 total. He only made one of them. Uh, I know Billy Donovan, they asked Billy Donovan about that today, uh, I think, at practice. And he's like, you know, like I wouldn't be opposed if he shot that many. But um, obviously, he only made one of them. Uh, I think he did seem to lose some confidence in his shooting and just kind of his overall play. Uh, once he started bricking all those, which obviously that's something that just can't happen. We can't have Wendell not looking at the rim and passing up open looks. Like he's got to, he's got to keep that confidence. You'd hope to think that that three point shooting will come up at some point. Whether it, maybe it won't ever be good, but you would hope to get it up to like in the into the thirties in percentage wise. Um, and then obviously in terms of the passing, I, I think stuff you mentioned earlier just now about how you'd like to see him be a bit more ambitious with his passing. We did see a few nice things there uh, with him. I, I know one of those early games, he had a nice back cut pass to, to Zach for a dunk and it's that kind of stuff because the whole thing was that, well, Wendell has been misused by Jim Boyle and with Billy Donovan, they're going to use him a bit more. I do think we've seen him used maybe a bit better, but the results still just haven't been there. I don't want to give up him give up on him right now after four preseason games. He still hasn't played that many games because like Lowry, he's kind of dealt with some injury issues. So, uh, Stefan, what did you make of Wendell's usage in the, in the preseason? Are you worried about his shooting? Do you think it'll ever come around? Well, yeah, I'm massively worried. He had a terrible preseason. Um, and as far as his shooting, um, I'm not like totally out on it, but I mean, the numbers are the numbers. Like, what did he shoot, yeah. like, one for 15 or something in the preseason? He's one for 16. <laughs> and and the shots, the misses were not particularly close either. I mean, it's not like these shots were rimming in and out. I mean, he was pretty off on a lot of them. So uh, he was only taking very open shots, too. And by the, I think it was by the third game, um, he was just, he, he was passing up everything. Like, he would... The the problem with the Bulls' offense the past couple of years they were I think they were 29th last year in offense yep. Yep. is they're playing these guys that are total offensive zeros so they're playing like Dunn and Shaq Harrison and Wendell Carter and Chandler Hutchinson together and what it does is it just makes defenses collapse into the paint and they're just daring you to shoot it so if you have even one of those guys now I mean so many teams are playing five out so many teams are spacing the floor so well and that's how you get these. Uh, historic offenses, offensive rating is going up every single year in the NBA because teams are just getting so much better. Um, and you, you can't do that when you just allow defenders, when you allow defenses to play five on four, it's, it's just not going to work. So he, he has to be a threat out there somehow. I mean, if that means that he's going to be in the dunker spot and just be a beast inside, then he can do that. But again, like it's another problem area in the preseason. He did not finish very well at the rim. So he, he has to, do something offensively. And I mentioned before his passing, he missed so many cutters in the preseason. And I know that he can make these passes because I saw him do it at Duke. I don't understand exactly why I can, I can see him uh, making eye contact with these guys, but he's afraid to let go of the ball. I just think he's, I don't know why, but he's afraid to make mistakes and um, hopefully it comes around. I mean, I'm not hopeful that um, it happens like in the beginning of the season because he just has so much work to do, but maybe like by the middle part, uh, this is like a, totally different approach than he was used to with Jim Boylan, where if he made mistakes before Jim Boylan sat in one game uh, during his rookie years, he played like seven minutes and Boylan told him like, sometimes you learn by watching from the bench or something like that. Something stupid like that, where (laughs) they won like seven games that year. Like who cares? (laughs) Just let Wendell play. But um, yeah, Billy Donovan is just pumping him up. He said like Jay, as you said before, like if Wendell takes four threes a game, that's fine. Um, so we'll see if the different approach yields different results. Yeah, I'm starting to get really nervous about him because offensively, he just sucks. Like, what is he good at <laughs> offensively? And he's never really shown in the NBA that he's talented with the ball in his hands. And that's what keeps tripping me up. Like, I loved Wendell as a prospect, 
for a big reason. Why? Is because of how he paired with Marvin Bagley at Duke. They did a lot of high-low stuff. I thought that he looked like a, you know he was going to be a projectable shooter going forward. He was going to be a plus passer. But, I mean, it's the third year in the NBA. He hasn't really shown that. I think that absolutely he has a huge gripe with Boylan. I think that Lowry and Carter both are still just like traumatized from the Boylan experience. And you hope that doesn't stick with him. But at the same time, it's on the players to like get over it to be like, you know, next play guys. You hear about that when you talk to scouts all the time. Some guys uh, linger on a bad play or a bad decision for too long. Other guys, uh, Kawhi, I've heard this about, for example, they just move on right away. Next play guy, the last result doesn't affect them. So I'm starting to get worried about Wendell's offense for sure. Stefan, you just wrote a big thing on the Bulls' defensive changes. And, you know, I think that center, most important defensive position, the defensive changes will impact Wendell probably more than they'll impact any other player on the roster. I think that's fair to say. Uh, You can tell me if you disagree with that. But how do you view him defensively still? Because I thought last year he was really good defensively. He looked like he could anchor an NBA defense in the middle already in only his second season. So uh, are you still high on his defense? And how do you think Wendell specifically fits into the uh, the changes the Bulls are making defensively? So I think it was a rough preseason for him defensively, and that was just because of matchups. Uh, so I, I wrote about this, uh, I think yesterday now, uh, about how like drop defense is really popular in the NBA now. But every team that runs drop just – you're going to have certain weaknesses against it. And one of them is that if you have a center that pops really well, then um, drop centers are just so far back in the coverage that they're not going to be able to close out. And the Bulls saw that. I mean, in four games, stretch bigs shot 19 of 34, I think the stat was. So they're just getting crushed from outside. And um, I don't think that's reflective of what he's going to be like in the regular season. Uh, Because, yeah, I mean, like, under Hoiberg, they played a much more conservative defense. Wendell was awesome in that defense. I think he averaged like two and a half blocks a game under Hoiberg. And he, yeah, I think that really um, allows him to take advantage of his high feel, which I think he does have on the defensive end at least. And just having having a position on the basket. I mean, what, Ricky, you might know, being a draft guy, what his wingspan was. I think it was like 7'4 seven, seven, or something. I mean, it was pretty long. That's right. Yeah, so I, I think that he is very capable of being a just a dominant rim protector back there. And um, I, I do agree with you when you say that he's capable of anchoring a pretty good defense. I mean, we saw it last year, right? So should be able to do it in this scheme as well. Yeah, I would think so. And like, obviously, they're not going to totally give up the blitzing. And I think he can he can play both. He can, if they he can play more conservative, he can he can play he can do some blitzing. I I guess I don't know with the blitzing like if they can pull it off as much without Chris Dunn and without Shaq Harrison. I know with Hutchinson, Patrick Williams, maybe they could put those guys in place. So I'm curious to see how, how Billy does um, kind of mix up those defenses. That's not something that I was really watching that closely. Did you notice, uh, like, in terms of mixing up the coverages like that? I don't know how close exactly you were watching the, that kind of stuff, but did you notice anything specific there? Or were they, like, really heavy drop? I didn't see them blitzing at all. Um, okay. So, yeah, I think they were just trying to get – the nuts and bolts down of their base coverage. They did play some zone, which I thought was interesting, especially like um, after timeouts. But yeah, it seems like they are like this season is tough, right? Because um, shortened training camp, uh, yeah. they're not going to be able to practice as much because the games are going to be so condensed. So it, it's going to be hard when you change your schemes like this. But uh, yeah, I think they're just trying to get the basics, just trying to keep it simple right now. That makes sense. Um, I guess let's look at a uh, big, I guess big picture, maybe prediction stuff here. Uh, I guess and it's just generally how you feel about how this team is going to do. As we talked about at the start here, like they do have a pretty tough schedule to start. We got, I think it's like Hawks, Pacers, Warriors. They might miss Draymond, and then they got a couple game against the against the Wizards. Uh, obviously with Russ and Beal there, and then like January is just a bitch. They got the, I think the Lakers. I don't know if it's twice. They they play the Lakers at least once. They got like the Celtics twice. The Mavs twice, I think. Uh, they got the Blazers. It's just a really tough schedule to start the season. So, uh, I guess, do you see them like getting off to a brutal start and they're just kind of spiraling from there? Do you think they can kind of fight through this and end up? I guess, just ultimately, what do you think they can play for a, a play-in spot? Like, I guess, just your general thoughts on what this team can be this season. Well, it really depends on what happens at the trade deadline. I do think they're going to get off to a slow start. Um, 
And they're also hurt. You guys haven't even mentioned yeah. uh, Thad Young yet. I mean, yeah, I, I, him, some weird, I'd have to look it up exactly. I don't have it off the top of my head. Like weird, like leg infection that he, he said that like it, they caught it early, but it like it, this was a type of thing that like almost ended Grant Hill's career. So like, who knows when he's going to be back to play. And you, we talked about Sadoransky and we, uh, they finally got Denzel and Garrett Temple back in practice. I don't know how much of the rotation or how many minutes they'll get, but yeah. And they weird stuff going on already with these, with this health stuff. Yeah, I don't think um, Temple and Valentine is going to affect them that much because uh, Chandler Hutchinson actually played really well in the preseason. So I think that he might end up jumping them anyway. But yeah, Thad was probably going to play. Sato, that is going to hurt them a lot more than people think. Uh, I just think the drop-off between him and Archidiakono is substantial. Uh, So hopefully he's ready to go again. Like We really have no idea what's going on with him. Um, and yeah, the trade deadline is really uh, what's going to determine the fate of the season because I do think they're going to start out slow. But you know, if the first half of the season is this tough, then logically you would think that the second half is going to be easier. Although, again, we don't really know because the scheduling is just so weird this year. Like right. you have these back to backs in the same city and stuff like that, and they're trying to do everything around travel. So maybe their second half of the season is also very difficult. And then they're just I mean, totally screwed. I guess the second half will feature though. Like I think they play the Knicks a couple times in like February, but like, I don't think they, they, they I don't think they have the Cavs or Pistons on this first half. So like two, those are two bad uh, division opponents, which so back half, they'll probably play them what three times each. Well, we don't even know. Like they might cut the season short at that point too. Yeah, so there's just so much bad. unknown. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But if they are really bad, this is what I'm saying, like, and they just ship off everyone, then of course, you know, they're going to be terrible and they're going to have incentive to do that because at that point you're looking at, you're, you're, you're looking at this great draft coming up. Um, Ricky can speak more to that. And then you, you're seeing that you're in pretty good position. You know, you only have to yeah. uh, dump like another 30 games or something. And then you have a, a real shot at changing your franchise. So that's going to be very alluring, I think, to them. But if they do decide to just stick it out, if Michael Reinsdorf is sick of the tanking, then I do think they're going to be better in the second half. And, you know, that that's the point where they make this jump. And then you get the feel good story coming into next year where they finish the season strong and made some noise in the bubble or in the play in tournament. What do you think they should do? Uh, Which, I mean, I'm not a draft guy, but it just sounds like the top two guys in this class, uh, potentially top three guys, are definitely worth tanking for. Um, yeah, Ricky, what, what do you think? I would I would like to know what Ricky would do. Yeah. If they're like let's let's say they're like the fifth worst team in the league, you know, uh thirty games in. Is it time to just pack it in and go for one of those guys? Well, obviously they flatten the odds for tanking. Stefan wrote a great thing about that probably a few months ago at this point, six months ago. But uh yeah, like I do think that even if they do end the season with the seventh best odds at the number one pick, like you can jump up with the flattened odds. So right. to me, it's more like what kind of team do you want to be? I think that's the first question that Karnashovas has to answer because he didn't do anything this offseason. Uh, he probably did kick the tires on stuff. Maybe it was by design that he was going to uh, see this through for one more year in terms of the young core that the last front office collected. But uh, to me, like the thing that is giving me pause about excitement for the season is I just think they're so far away. And I look at... Uh, the rest of the league. And I'm like, how many teams are they actually better than? And I just don't think they're better than that many teams. I mean, they might be better than like five, six teams, maybe. But then after that, there's just not going to be a lot of winnable games on the schedule. One thing I'm excited about is the first five games of this season. I think the first five games of the season could go a long way towards determining what the Bulls are going to look like this year. They're home against Atlanta, home against the Pacers, home against the Warriors, and then back-to-back at Wizards. So can the Bulls win three of those first five games? Are they going to go one and four? Like That is going to, I think, give us a big clue in terms of the season. And I didn't really answer your question, Steph. In terms of the draft, I think that Cade Cunningham is phenomenal. A lot of people are starting to move off him as the number one overall pick, as Jalen Suggs has been so impressive for the best team in the country in Gonzaga. Cade is just in an awful situation, man, Oklahoma State. That team is absolutely brutal. His brother's an assistant on staff, so at least they kept it in the family. Hopefully they got a bunch of money for everyone to go around. But (laughs) Jesus Christ, that is a bad, bad team. And uh, he has no shooting around him. I think that he is in, in in a spot where like Suggs is in a perfect position to look amazing. Cunningham is in like the worst possible position. So 
I'm not going to move off Cade as number one, just given his pedigree coming into the season. And like his play this season has still been pretty damn good, if you ask me. Like he, it hasn't been unbelievable. He's had, you know, some inefficient scoring nights. He's had so many potential assists blown by his teammates who can't hit a damn shot. He has terrible spacing around him. So I think Cade is totally legit number one overall. I think Evan Mobley looks terrific as a number two overall player. He's a big man who has just really like special rare movement skills, really quick decision maker, which to me is the second most impressive thing about him. Like you're not going to be able to teach someone who's, you know, is big and long as Evan Mobley is. I want to say he's like a seven, six wingspan guy or seven, five wingspan guy off the top of my head, but he can just move his feet so quickly too. And then you factor in that he can like process things quickly, can make passes I typically would not want a center with the number two overall pick. I thought it was a goddamn joke that James Wiseman went number two overall to the Warriors this year. Obviously, I've been wrong about these things many, many times in the past, so perhaps I will be wrong about that too. But Mobley, to me, seems special enough to buck the trend of sort of bigs. He's sort of like the exception to the rule, right? Like He, to me, does seem like a big who is worth a top three pick. Uh, In terms of how this impacts the Bulls, I mean, my overall takeaway on the Bulls coming into the season is that they're super far away. I do not think they are close to contending. Like I talked to a lot of my friends who are not in the media about the team, and I feel like everyone is much more excited than I am. Uh, And maybe that's because like when Zach and Kobe get hot, they're really fun to watch. Obviously, both those guys have like really just great uh, off the dribble scoring ability, unlimited range on their jump shots. So I think that that is getting people excited, maybe, at least the people I talk to. And then, you know, thinking that Definitely. Carter and Markinen basically can't be worse and should only be helped by the coaching change. So I get all that, but I'm not super excited coming into the season just because I don't see much ceiling in this Bulls rebuild. I don't see much upside. Like, even if everything goes perfectly, they're still going to be maybe the seventh or eighth best team in the East. And it's like, bro, we've been having the same conversation for years at this point. We have to just change the whole calculus of everything. Uh, so that's an extremely long-winded way of saying I would be totally fine with building through the draft. Uh, I think the number one way that the Bulls can improve the roster, Stefan's wrote about this in the past, is via trades. I was pretty disappointed. We didn't see it coming into this year when a lot of first-year GMs, uh, Daryl Morey, for instance, were just like immediately diagnosing their team's problems, making trades. But it doesn't matter. It's ultimately not a knock against Karnaschovas, uh, a significant one at least. Like Just like we were upset he didn't fire Boylan immediately, but like he fired him so it doesn't matter. Uh, I think the Bulls are really far away. And so I think that, you know, building through the draft and probably, you know, if Garpax drafted them, they're probably not very good. <laughs> That's kind of my thought process right now. So I think that, yeah, they have a lot of work to do. They definitely do. I guess I was just looking at some like win totals and some other projections and they're definitely not high. I know I was looking at, I think five thirty eights, whatever the Raptor or whatever the heck that they, they call that. They're like, I think that had him at like 24, 25 wins. Vegas has them at like 29, 29, 29 and a half. I'm looking at a few of these things here. Some of the other projections I've looked at. Yeah. I mean, and we said, we saw that you mentioned Zach Lowe earlier, like maybe the 10 seed. Uh, I think Hollinger had them at like 26, 27 wins. Um, I guess I, I always talk myself into being a little more optimistic about them. So like, and I, and I think I've said that they'd go over their Vegas win totals like the last three years and I've been wrong each time. So I might as well just be wrong again with there and say that they could get 30. So like on the spot here to wrap it up, do you think Stefan, do you think they go over or under that Vegas win total? So what 29, 29 and a half. Yeah, I think they go under, but uh, before I elaborate on that, I, I do want to get one Garpax shot in there because Ricky got one. So I feel like I should as well. I was I was just thinking about this the other day the other day and um you know the reason why I think AK is going to flip so much of this roster is he said the way that he wants to play which is eerily similar to what Fred Hoiberg wanted. He wanted guys who are good decision makers who didn't hold the ball uh good playoff movement and you know Garpax had 4 years to get this type of roster and then here we are, you know, after these guys got fired and they're going to have to flip the entire roster cuz none of the guys fit that that uh prototype at all so i think it's just like a yeah just a huge indictment i mean um i don't want to harp too much on that because all that stuff is in the past and we got to move on but yeah just uh like it feels like they've just been stuck in the mud for so long and it's so unnecessary because like this is what we were supposed to be doing this whole time right yep basically (laughs) uh did you want to elaborate on your under pick there oh yeah i mean i 
like I said before, I just think they're going to start out really slow and then they're they're going to see how close they are to the bottom of the lottery. They're going to start watching these guys in college and they're just going to say like, you know what? Uh, we have equity with the fans. We have equity with the front office. Like, why not just go for it and lock yourself into at least a top five pick? I mean, what Ricky was saying is what I've heard from other people where it's not just one guy. It's not just Cade, right? Like, there's multiple guys where you can, you know, if you fall to three, I don't, I don't know how the guys are after three, but I've heard the top three is just amazing. So you don't need to get the number one pick in this upcoming draft to to really just bolster your franchise. So when they're when they're locked in, let's say like, you know, they're the second worst team or whatever when they're when they have such good odds at a top four pick at that point like just just go for it you know so that to me or at least when i'm reading into it it means trading zach or do you think it's just trading Otto? like i'm personally of the opinion that like while Otto is super injury plagued probably not in, even in good shape right now like the team is just going to be so much better if he's available for the majority of the games they're going to be in a lot more close games. They're going to win more games with Otto on the court because he's actually like sort of a winning player who just fills a lot of needs for the team on the court. So when you talk about like selling off pieces, are you thinking Otto? Are you thinking Zach? Do you think it could mean Lowry? Uh, and I guess like, you know, the front office isn't tied to any of them as you've been talking about throughout this episode. Yeah, I'm thinking just shop all of them and see what you can get. You know, I really don't think they're particularly attached to any of these guys and Otto, you know, he's probably going to walk. So why not just, do you really want him to get from, you know, 29 wins to 33 wins? I mean, how much is that worth? Like, and then how much is the pick that you get for him going to be worth two or three years from now? It's obviously like, it's not even close, right? So just get what you can for these guys now. Yeah. Can't argue with that that much. It's, but it is going to be interesting. And I, like, as we talked about at the top, I am kind of excited about the season and I, and I always talk about, I always talk myself into this team being better than they are. And then they always flop some, I don't know, I guess in this situation, as you guys kind of mentioned, like if they do flop, I guess I wouldn't be that upset just because of this draft. So I guess there's, it's almost like a no lose spot, which also I think it makes it kind of interesting because you mentioned that inflection point, like they could go in so many ways. And even if things go into the shitter, like, there still could be reason to be excited about the future with Patrick Williams with a potential high draft pick. Maybe they make an exciting trade or two. So definitely a lot of ways that this can go. Uh, again, that's Wednesday, this first game of the season. It's been nine months since the Bulls have played. As crappy as they've been to watch the last few years, I am excited for them to be back. Stefan, I think we'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Please let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter, all your work, and all that great stuff. Yeah, you can follow me at Steph No. That's S T E P H N O H, and I have a Substack page where I'm going to be writing about the Bulls. It's totally free, so you can subscribe there if you want to be alerted to uh, when I write something new, or you can just follow me on Twitter and I'll tweet those out. I I really don't know how much I'm going to be writing this season because uh, yeah, I'm just doing it for the love of the game at this point, really. Um, and you know, I have other stuff going on where I have to pay the bills. But I'm looking forward to, uh, I feel like I was kind of a downer on this podcast. Like I really, I truly am looking forward to the season more than others. I think, um, yeah, Patrick Williams is going to be super fun and I'm definitely going to be watching that first game. And I think I am going to be writing a lot because I just, I just uh, see so many interesting things that I want to discuss with other Bulls fans. And um, it's a very intriguing team to me. Uh, Stefan's the best. Also, I told Stefan to put a Venmo link at the end of his newsletter because I got uh, some generous donations from people doing my stupid Western Illinois project. So if you're reading Stefan's work and you like what you're reading, even if you don't like what you're reading, but want Stefan to write some better takes, throw him some money. That's going to be my plea to the listeners. If you listen to Cash Considerations, give your... Give Steph a tip when uh, you read his work. Everything he writes on the Bulls is absolutely must-read. Uh, so thank you, Stefan, for uh, for joining us on this episode. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Love having you on all the time. Great, great takes, great insight. Uh, that'll do it for us here at Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. As always, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. Shout out to our sponsors, Indeed and Bet Online, for us here at Cash. Yeah, rate and review us wherever you listen to your pods. Let us know how we're doing, especially with the season coming up. If there's anything you want us to talk about, you know where to find us on Twitter. I'm Bulls underscore J. Ricky's at, at uh, SBN underscore Ricky. Um, coming up, I believe our plan for this opening night uh, on Wednesday night against the Hawks, I think 
Uh, we're planning on doing a, a special po- live post game uh, thing on the locker room app, uh, which is, I believe it's still only Apple only right now, but uh, just a fun thing where you download and you basically, it's almost basically just like a live podcast and you can listen to us. You can ask questions, you get involved that way. So I think we're going to try that out uh, on Wednesday night after this Bulls game. So that should be a lot of fun. Hopefully we do have something good to talk about. Hopefully we'll be talking about a Bulls winner, but uh, until then, uh, we got the NBA season starting Tuesday night with a couple games and the, the full schedule starts in on Wednesday with Bulls. So thanks again to Seth for coming on and for us here at Cash Considerations. I'm Jason Ricky. We'll talk to you guys next time. Go Bulls! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.